topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcahy Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. Welcome to episode 15 of the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcahy Co. You're joined by hosts Gavin Nash and Chris Mulcahy. G'day, Chris. G'day, Gav. How are you going? Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, we're just battling through uh, at the moment. The office is pretty empty. Yeah, look, it is a little bit different this time around, isn't it, with, uh, you know, most of the team working from home now. So, yep. look, it's probably something we've got used to here in Victoria. But, um, yeah, no, look, I think it's still that challenge with few of our team members teaching their kids at home as well. So, yeah, but I think we're going, getting through it a little bit better this time around. We're like every other business, I suppose, Chris. You've got to just try and keep your head above water uh, for these six weeks, I think, uh, that we're in at the moment. And then after that, you know, hopefully we can come out of it. But we've got a bit of a special guest on today. Um, uh, his name is Adam Fole. Adam works w- with us here in the marketing department. And Adam is a, an experienced digital consultant. So Adam's got a lot of experience uh, with his career um, in the digital space, so website design, app design, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to welcome him along. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Gavin. How are you? Not too bad. We've got Adam on the phone, so uh, it all seems to be working well. Um, very technologically savvy here at uh, the marketing department at Mulcane Co. <laughs> um, Ads, can we start with just a little intro on yourself and your background, please, mate? Yeah, so um, I guess I've been doing this for a long time now, so this started around the mid-90s when the internet was uh, an infant and sort of fell into the the digital marketing side of it, I guess, from more of a traditional computing angle when, you know, started work in an advertising agency in Melbourne and sort of learnt the ropes there, working on a lot of of big clients across Australia and, you know, things like Channel 9 and Mars and, and, you know, sort of brands like that. And then... uh, Few years later, sort of formed my own digital agency with a couple of people that I worked with, and um, you know have done that for the last sort of twenty odd years, and decided finally to move back to Ballarat, get out of the rat race a little bit, and come up here and join join yourself. Yeah, nice one. We've got a bit of history, Adam, for the listeners out there. So, Ads was uh, Chris. Ad, Ads got me my first job. Really? So graduated out of out of uni, and uh, Adam started a job as a website designer. And he rang me up three days still later and said... Still haven't bought me a bottle of wine yet. <laughs> I need to at least get you a slab of beer for that. But he rang me up three days <laughs> later and said, they've just mentioned that they need a graphic designer. So do you want to come in for an interview? So I started the next week. So that's the story. So, so, <laughs> so Adam, you'd be glad to be out of Melbourne at the moment? I am, mate, yes. Yeah. yeah we, uh, we had a little house up down in Carnegie Way there. So that would have got quite claustrophobic over the last sort of six weeks. But, um, no, it's good being up here, it's, you know, close to family. I think that's why a lot of people move back, you know, they, they come up here and where they're from originally. So um, put some roots down or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of friends still in Melbourne that are texting me, all, you know, every day and saying how much they'd like to be up here. <laughs> well, isn't it funny because we're in semi-lockdown anyway, but, you know, then you'd speak to Jody up in the Queensland office and they're doing whatever they want up there. No, that's right. You, yeah. So, you know, you see yeah. the crowds at the football and the other yeah. sporting events that are on still and yeah so I think you've just got to somehow just tune out to all that going on because hopefully by <laughs> mid-September we're through the worst of it and yes. we can get back to a bit of normality. Yes we're back. So Adam's been we've asked Adam yeah. to come in today Chris to uh, just to give all of our listeners and clients here at Mulcane Co just a little bit of background on um, some really uh, I suppose having a really good digital footprint we've spoken about it before um, what is a digital footprint um, online, so um, 
and this is probably Adam's area of expertise here, is just to sort of um, so, so run us through ads. What, what, how would you describe a digital footprint for footprint for a business? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of, of everything. It's all these touch points that you may have with existing and potential customers. So, you know, obviously website, you know, things like a, an email newsletter, things like your social media channels, you know, your Google My Business listings, Bing listings, anywhere where you can be found and your business is represented online, basically. Um, and, that there, you know, there's so many different avenues to communicate these days compared to sort of 20 years ago that, you know, it, it's it's not complicated, but you've got to get all your ducks in a row and make sure that you've got a lot of those those channels covered from a business perspective so you're not losing out. And I think p- part of the um, interesting part about that, Adam, is once you've got them all in a row, we had a, a situation um, last week where we had a retail customer in Ballarat here who one of their major competing customers had a COVID case at their business. So then our customer, our client, got a couple of phone calls from people saying, are you shut down? Because they just mistaken the identity of that business for our client's business. So what we were able to do is jump onto message on the homepage of the website, message on Google My Business, message on their social media. And in the past, they sort of said to me, oh, it's great, it's all been done within half an hour. In the past, we would have been ringing up the radio station, spending hundreds and thousands of dollars trying to get that information out, taking ads out in the paper saying we're open. So in that situation, the digital footprint worked to their advantage. So that's an example of probably how it can work. And, you know, you think to yourself how you go about your daily life and if, you know, for example, you might want to go to a farmer's market at the moment, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to jump online and and check whether that's still running. You're not going to wait to hear something on TV or on the radio. You know, the power is in the consumer's hands now. So if you don't have that information up, then you're behind the eight ball and you're not really giving your your customers the optimum uh, experience with your brand. And I suppose the idea too is to make sure that once you open those channels, so we're talking, say, social media, for example, here at Mulcanco, we've got four different channels. We've got Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So we want to make sure there's a consistent message happening on all of those, not one thing for one and one for another. And, oh, we forgot to put that on the other thing over there. So I suppose for a, yeah, that's any, right. any businesses, it's a matter of having that message consistent on all of those digital channels. Otherwise, and look, you can, in that mix, you can throw in the yellow pages. If a lot of our clients have got yellow pages online listings, um, they might have listings in other, um, like high pages or any of these other sort of digital um, platforms that are around. So the idea is to make sure that you've got all your logins and you know that you, once you, if you want to run a special for the month, um, you can actually run that out over six or seven different digital channels, um, which is probably where the consumer is looking first, anyway. That's right. Even things like opening hours, you know, it's gone are the days of just sort of putting information up and and sort of leaving it there for years on end. You know, you've got to be a little bit on top of of where your information is presented and and how you go about managing that. And, you know, it might sound complicated to to people out there, but there are are literally ways to, you know, make multiple changes from a single application now. So, you know, as long as your sources of truth uh, are kept up to date, you know, fairly regularly, then you're, you're in a good place. 
And I suppose too, ads um, for those listeners out there that are sort of going, well, what's an e-news? You know, what's a Google My Business page? Um, I suppose by way of explaining some of those things, an e-news is a, some people call them an EDM, is a bit of an industry term, electronic direct mail. So they're the emails yeah. that come into your <laughs> inbox. Email. Yeah, they're, they're just emails that come in, but they're branded. They might have what's happening with the business at the moment, specials. We we, we likely all of us get them um, from one way or another, from an online store you've purchased from or some software you signed up for. So, look, some people – and I've got clients, Chris, too, that will say, oh, they're a bit of a waste of time, those things. They just – I just hit delete anyway. But if you're already – if that person is already a customer of yours and then they see your email come in, uh, they're more more likely to read it. So I suppose it is a yeah, good way – Yeah, and there's some pretty – sorry, yeah, yeah there's some pretty that. heavy stats – that sort of sit behind that as well, you know. So, you know, most businesses will get sort of 80% of their revenue from talking to their existing customers, you know, and the best way to do that these days is via an EDM, some sort of regular. It's almost one-to-one, you know, whereas social media, you sort of, you're putting it out there, but, um, you know, it's not the same in terms of communication. You know, you can't personalise it. You can't do any of that side of things. So... You know, that, there's some fairly heavy numbers behind how effective email communication with your existing clients can be for, for your business. And so especially now with COVID where everyone's at home and, you know, that they're, they're on their devices a lot, you know, during the day, that is a, a good way of, of keeping in touch. You know, and you don't want to overdo it. You know, we've had, you know, over the years we've had clients that sort of do, you know, twice weekly or three-time three weekly sort of emails and you end up with a lot of unsubscribe. So you don't want to talk to these people for no reason, but you want to make sure that you're keeping in touch, you know, so they know you're there. Next time they're looking for a particular product that you might have or a service, then you're going to be at the forefront of their mind. I think that frequency is a good one because um, we've probably all, all had it where we sort of, you just get sick of seeing the emails coming in from Kogan or whoever it is coming in every day. Um, I often say to clients... Kogan's a good example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I sort of say to clients, look, think about the the purchasing or the how many how often someone's going to use your service so for example you know we've got a, a investment company in Ballot we do some work for so you know they do one about four times a year so one every quarter just a bit of an update this is what we've been up to this is the current rates whatever we're doing so um, that is an interesting one because you know you're not going to be investing money every second week so that for that particular business Less is more with that. I've got some other businesses yeah. that do it, you know, on the same day every month so that customers know it's coming on the 1st of every month or the 15th of every month and they'll actually put some specials on that e-news that you, they don't really have anywhere else. So the idea is to try and generate a little bit of interest with that e-news coming into the inbox. Yeah, I think that consistency yeah. and awareness and I guess the content that you're putting out is so important, isn't it? Just to spend that little bit of time to give some useful content and then, it, and then you're not going to get that unsubscription probably because people are looking out for that email that's coming out because it has been useful to them rather than just just sending out stuff just for the sake of it would you agree with that Adam, that's that, right. that, that you've just got to be very careful in that regard absolutely yeah yeah i mean you, you don't want to just sort of you know put information out there or send information out to your customer both that they're, they're not you know ready for or not really interested in so i mean that's just sort of bombarding them with unnecessary information but if you if you're giving them something that's pertinent to them and it's you know might help them out in a you know the current situation or if it's you know 
even notifying them of new products or services that might help in the you know the current climate, then that's going to be you know well received and possibly even shared, which is you know something that you, know, you can't put too high a value on either. You know, with the emails, it's really good that you can. One of the best things about it is it's very measurable, so you can see how many people are clicking through. You can see who's taking action on these emails. You know, you can actually record at that sort of end point what the result of this email distribution was, you know, whereas some other mediums you can't do that. So I think it's, yeah, it's a very powerful one. You know, if you've got that existing list, then by all means use it. And look, that is the challenge for a lot of smaller businesses I know uh, that we work with that just getting up, getting their customers into a database. And look, if you're point of sale system at your retail store or your um, customer system itself if it doesn't really force you to capture an email address um, it's a great way to get started into that communication with your customers to make sure that we record you record some email addresses that we can then give to um, and someone like us or we can use in your in your e-news to get that out there so um, unfortunately um, where they don't work is if you go and try and um, purchase a list or something like that. So that it's not going to work. E-news is really no. for those current customers where they, you want them to come back. You want to turn them into a and, uh, more regular customer. That's right. And you, there's, there's a myriad of ways of incentivising that as well. You know, for example, you know, the retail online store customers that we have, you know, most of them have a, a, a VIP email newsletter list, which gives them a 10% off. Uh, in the online store, so there's there's ways of building that list which aren't intrusive, um, and I think you know it's just about how you incentivise that, and you know you make people want to sign up. You know, that's the thing. I suppose flip it on its head and say, well, how do I get my customers to want to look forward to this email when it comes, rather than yes. oh, here's just another thing. Um, and look, Chris, over the years, the amount of customers that have spoken to me about, oh, you know, I always you know, uh, service their uh, dishwasher and then all of a sudden they stop ringing. Well, it's because they forgot who you were. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. In yeah. a lot of ways. Just keeping front and centre and yeah. in, in the mind of the um, consumer. Keeping your brand, keeping your brand the, top of mind. It's the modern equivalent of a fridge magnet really, isn't it? Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. that's, a, yeah, that's a good analogy. Hey, Adam, is there a number or, you know, a number of times that the client or consumer or someone looking for your goods or services, is, is there a number of times that they need to have seen your ad or content that then sort of sinks into their mindset that they'll then ring you up? Is like is is are there any data around that? Oh look there would be. I, I haven't got anything in front of me at the moment. But it, look it, it, it's more about recognizability and then having that locked in. So, you know, if if a brand name is is linked in a consumer's mind with a particular service or product, then that is the first thing that's going to be brought to mind when they find a need, you know. So, for example, just this week, you know, I had some issues with our hot water service. So, instantly, you know, I had some emails from, uh, I think it was Reese Plumbing, and the Renai hot water was there. That was straight to my, sort of front of my mind. Um, and that was from a regular communication that I was on, on a, an email newsletter list. So, you just never know what situations a consumer is going to find themselves in or what the need might be or when it arises. So I think keeping regular contact is the key thing. Yeah, because I think sometimes businesses, and look, we've been at fault with this in the past where we think, oh, we've done this ad campaign, nothing's happened. 
Mm. You know, we expect something to happen straight away. Yes. But it's all about just building, right. bu- building that brand and building that, I guess, familiarity or the uh, customer or client's familiarity with who you are and, and what you do. So when they do need that product or service, they think of you straight away. And look, you've got to yeah. you've got to remember a lot of business. We've got to put businesses in categories too, Chris and Adam. So you sort of have, uh, uh, if you you can buy a coffee from a different cafe every day of the week, but you're not going to buy hot water service every day of the week, and you're not going to change your accountant every day of the week. So some of those things need to sort of cook away um, in your email, coming in your email every three months, so that when you are ready to purchase or change your service provider or whatever, as Adam's just found with the hot water service, that's that's what comes to mind. So. Um, you know, what didn't come to mind was Reese's direct competitor because they weren't keeping in touch with Adam. So I suppose ah, that's, right. that, that's one way to think about it. It's The e-news, I suppose, to sort of finish on this little part is the e-news is about keeping in contact with your current client base and making sure that you're still top of mind when they think about your service or product. Absolutely. So, so Adam, do you do anything like in terms of um – ads during YouTube and things like that? Like, do you do those, what do they call them, ad, ad rolls or something? Yep. Um, Google. Yeah, so we... I'll let Adam explain. Yeah, we yeah, can, go for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Google ad network is one network and we've also got the Bing network and a, and a few others. But, I mean, the Google side of things, and video is an extremely effective medium. You know, there's, there's some stats around video which are pretty impressive, you know, so... It's upwards of 90% of people will try and watch a video of a product before they purchase. And the Google network gives you a good way of doing that via YouTube and little, um, you know, the, the, the display network. So it's a hugely effective thing to do. And you can combine that with some remarketing techniques. So if someone has, for example, clicked through to the Roots website and had a look at some Renault Hot Waters, just to keep going with that example, then they might look at that and go, oh, it's not that urgent. I'll come back to, back to that later. But as they're browsing around the web and they're doing their thing, you can start to say, you can start to deliver some ads to them as well to keep the forefront of their mind and keep that branding going because they visited that website. So that's called some remarketing techniques. Um, and obviously there's, you know, keywords that, you know, people searching these, these search engines, you can target those and, and, and get some ads in the forefront of their minds as well. So... There's a huge number of different ways to tackle it and it comes down to who it is that you're talking to and, and, and why they're searching and how they're searching as to how you present that information back to them. And just to, um, by way of explaining that Google Ads network that you were asking about, Chris, so there's, uh, there's actually a video on our marketing page on the Mulcahy website which explains it, but in basic terms there's, there's three different areas of the Google Ads network. There's the text search, which everyone's used to, which is where you just type in a keyword and a little ad comes up and you click on your search page results and you click through to the website. Um, there's the display network, which Ads is talking about, which is little graphical ads that follow you around. So they're always displayed on really highly hit websites. So carsales.com.au, realestate.com, that, those sort of um, websites where people are frequenting a lot. And that's where we can push those ads back in front of the person because they've been on our website in the past. And then the third one is the video network. Yeah, so that's where... Um, you know, someone's watching YouTube and just before they start watching, they can see a six or seven second video of your business. Um, and there's all different pricing and everything to do with whether you're forced to watch the whole video ad or whether you can skip after five seconds, all those things. There's That's right, and you don't changes. pay unless a certain criteria has been hit and a certain amount of that video is, is viewed as well. So, 
you know, there's, you, you might get some little branding snippets up there that which don't cost you much at all. Um, you know, the little five second drops. But um, look, it's one thing I think is important is going back to when we first started, Gav. There wasn't that many internet um, providers around. There wasn't that many websites around. You know, people were just in the infancy of this whole thing. So it was quite easy to find, say, for example, you know, a fo- football club website or something like that, right? Whereas now there's close to 2 billion websites out there and everyone, even small business, sole traders, everyone has got a, a web presence of some description um, in most cases. So what you're trying to do is float to the surface and I guess that probably leads us into a little bit of the next um, topic we wanted to talk about, which is the SEO side of things. Trying to be as visible as you possibly can be to your current and prospective customers. So just to explain what SEO is, Ads, for our listeners. So SEO is uh, just search engine optimization. So you might have, may have heard SEO sort of bandied around the traps or SEM, which is a variant on that, which is we sort of touched on, which is search engine marketing, which is the paid advertising or PPC uh, advertising, which you may have seen it as. So search engine optimization is just making sure that you've got all your ducks in a row with your website and your various web properties like your Google My Business listing, your Bing business, you know, even things like your Yellow Pages listings, blog posts, you know, all of this and your backlinks and things and, and getting the technicalities right alongside your content and your, you know, the schedule that you push this content out to make sure that you're doing everything you can to be at the top of those sort of uh, search results when people are searching for you. Um, and, you know, it's not just about, you know, coming up number one when someone types in your business name, which I've, I've heard a couple of times this week, you know, people sort of say to me, well, why do I need SEO? I come up number one. And you ask them, well, what are you searching for? Because people are different and some people might search for a particular term, but other people might know it as something else. And they're like, oh, well, I just search my business name, which that doesn't give you a real insight into what your position is. So you need there needs to be some research behind it, but it's quite easy to get all those ducks in a row as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah and I think a good example is that when you guys checked out our site and I think most people search loans and finance as opposed to lending. Yes. So we, we called yeah. our loans and finance division lending. That's what we called it. And we most of the keywords were lending, weren't they? As yeah. opposed, but everyone's searching loans and finance. Yeah, exactly. So we kind That's of had, right. to, yeah. had to pivot really and change how how we sort of uh, presented that part of the Mulcahy business to the world because the, the trend, well, it's called Google Trends, which is a uh, system we've got access to to say this, on the trends – this is how many – it was – loans and finance was searched heaps and heaps times more per month than the word lending, you know. So um, so it's sort of one of those um, things that if you don't – and business owners are sometimes too close to their business too. They don't they don't think, oh, what are other people searching? Um, so the Google Trends is That's a really exactly val- right. valuable tool, isn't it, Ads, where we can sort of look in it and see in the last 30 days in your area – uh, nutritionist has been searched 314 times. So that's the yeah, that's level right. of, of detail we can get out of the Google Trends. Yeah, I think you're exactly right in terms of, you know, people can sometimes be too close to their business because even using things like, you know, industry-specific terms on your website content or in your keywords or whatever, that doesn't necessarily translate to your consumer market. So... You've really got to step back as a business owner and say, well, 
you know, what are people trying to find or what are people looking for when, you know, they're looking for a business like mine? And, and I think things like Google Trends and even some of the other tools out there for keyword research are invaluable with that because they'll give you historical data on what people are actually typing in. And if you've got a key phrase or a keyword in mind, you can, you can type that into some of these tools and, you, and it'll bring you the top 10 uh, similar keyword phrases that people are using. So it's, it's mainly about research um, from a content point of view and a keyword point of view, but then it's also about the way your site performs and the structure behind it and the way it's been put together and things like that. So, um, you know, one example I think, Gab, was a few months ago where we, we sort of did some audits on a few sites and uh, companies web page came up and it looked really nice and, 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 you know, sort of had all the bells and whistles that you sort of expect these days. But when you looked at how fast it loaded, it came down extremely slowly and that was because the page weight, which is effectively the file size of that website, was something like 80 meg, which is a huge file. And if you're on a mobile device, that would, you know, sort of be minutes to download. So there's a whole gamut of things that you need to get get right with SEO. Uh, it's not hard, but there's just, you know, um, some of that technical stuff behind the scenes is important. And it's probably um, the difference between, uh, and, and everyone will have seen this, uh, Chris, where someone's had a crack at their own website. So a lot of the um, self-web builders around will allow someone to design a, a site, upload a couple of photos, put their logo in there, make some pages. I'll look at, I've got a very, probably a very professional looking website. The, the issue is it just doesn't perform very well. So it's like having a brand new Juco painted on the old HQ Holden, but there's no, the engine underneath no good. So in a way, that's what SEO is. It's the engine that runs everything, makes sure that you can be found. Um, and it's not necessarily, because um, as Adam said, this, this website we, we, he was talking about was just a beautiful website. Yeah, it was really, really it well. Great. You looked at it and you thought, well, that is super. The problem is it was going to take two minutes to download on someone's phone. So no one's going to do it. People don't wait. No one's going to do it. No. So Google will punish you if, you if your site doesn't perform very well. So, exactly. you know, there's the Google algorithms. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I think on average there's about six or seven Google algorithm changes daily. And, you know, in, in recently some of the more important ones are things like page speed, how quickly that comes down on different devices, you know, how secure that site is, whether or not it's, it's, it's behind a, a certificate. Um, you know, how big things like buttons are or font sizes are, how, what is the ratio of images to text. And like, there's so much behind the Google algorithms and the other search engine algorithms that really the crux of it comes down to are you talking to humans? So is the language you're using written for human beings and does your site perform well? Really, they're the two key bits of information that will make you come up those search engine results. Because it's um, – so it does, you know, for our listeners out there who aren't sort of digital or, or savvy in this area, it can start to sound a little bit scary. There's a, there's a million different things. But it would be this, similar to accounting, Chris, I assume, that, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff in the background that you guys handle on behalf of your clients. So in a lot of ways, that's what we're doing for our clients as well. Yeah, that's right. I think it, it's, yeah, like many things we do in life, you've just got to get the basics – down pat first, haven't you? You've got to build the foundation and then go from there. Otherwise, yeah, you can be producing the greatest content in the world, but 
no one's seeing it. Google's not recognising it. So yep. it's a waste of time. So yeah. you've got to do that right. first part of it just to make sure that then from then on, what you're doing is going to be worthwhile. Mm. Get your foundations in the right sort of order and the rest will follow, you know. So um, it's like the, the Kevin Costner, you know, the days of build it and they will come. That, that just doesn't happen anymore. So you've got to get those foundations right and get those sort of building blocks sort of in the right order and then content-wise and, and you know, that is, you're exactly right. You know, that's why we do what we do and Chris is right with the, the accounting side of things. Like, I don't want to know a lot of the time what the accountants are doing behind the scenes. You know, that's that's the area of expertise and that's why we go to an accountant. You know, so the same thing from digital marketing perspective. I wouldn't expect, you know, a small business owner to know all the ins and outs of this stuff, but, you know, sort of putting forward that how important it is, I think, is, is the critical component. I think um, it sort of leads us into some other areas around um, probably words people have heard here, there and everywhere like content marketing, um, you know, paid search, you know, you're so running all that through your social media. So there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a wider gamut of um, options available. I suppose the idea is to work out which ones your customers are going to listen to. For example, content marketing is great if you're offering a professional service so if you're an architect or an accountant or um and you need to let the people know out there that you're the expert in your area then some content marketing is where you probably need to be so you need to be writing your articles about your specific areas of expertise and market and promote those out through your social media channels through your electronic emails that go out your edms uh, maybe on your social posts on your um, blog page on your website so the idea is if you're in service industry that's probably the, the road you need to go down. Completely different if you're in retail or if you're a restaurant or if you're you know, in tourism. So there's some other things we, you know, we need to do. So I suppose there's all these tools available, just a matter of your industry and your customers and, and uh, which ones we need to tap into to get to where you need to be. Um, moving the conversation on, um, Adam, is like we get a lot of clients talking about video. So um, how does video work? Um, how does YouTube work? Are we right in thinking that YouTube's the, the second biggest search engine in the world behind Google? Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's the number one stop in terms of, you know, community-driven video or, you know, community-generated video. So it, it's super important. And even things like looking for, uh, you know, unbiased review of products or services uh, it, it's it's super important. Yeah, you might not find you know your small business owner up there or someone reviewing a you know like a small uh, service in a regional town, but you'll definitely get people sort of doing more research. And I think consumers these days are much more empowered than they were. Um, you know, word of mouth is still important, but I think people always want that validated in some way. And and YouTube and places like that definitely add to that validation. You know, if they can see other people reviewing a product or, you know, even saying that this isn't good and these are the reasons why, then that informs them and that empowers them to make a decision. Let's take an example of buying a new car. You think, oh, should I buy this Mazda or should I buy this Toyota? They're pretty similar in price, I'm not sure. So people now are just going straight to YouTube, typing in um, comparison, you know, between these two cars 
someone will have done a comparison video on them and talked about um, the detail, the different details of them. Sometimes they're not even Australians. They, they might be overseas or whatever. And the more unbiased that opinion is, the more value it's got. In a lot of ways, Adam, that, um, that unbiased opinion on YouTube is – a lot of it is uh, – that is word of mouth. That's what it is because you haven't got anyone in that's your right. own friendship group that's compared those two cars. So you can't take your friendship group as – or your family as word of mouth – so I'm going to actually take that word of mouth from someone else on YouTube. And I think it's a, yeah. ge- it's a generation thing too, isn't it? We're, we're using it quite a bit. But I know my kids are flat out just watching stuff on YouTube. Yep, 100% of the time. Yep. Yeah. And, look, and especially they're, they're, now. And <laughs> yeah. look, they're not going to Google.com and searching in. They're going to go to YouTube and use that search. So that's where it's become that second best, biggest search engine in the world because people are seeing it as um, – you know, as a, a form of information to come in. But look, watching – and the other thing is about people accepting content. So in the past, you know, we've all, you know, had to read, a, you know, about 400 to 600 words fits on an A4 page, depending on how big your font size is. So if you were to read a full A4 sheet of paper in small font size, that's 600 words. Well, that could be a two-minute video. Yeah. So if you think about um, a lot, how a lot of people take in information, they're probably more likely to take in the information – from a two-minute video than they are reading that 600 words. So that's another way. Absolutely. I've got a client at the moment. I've just been seeing this morning actually. So they're a medical centre. They've got a whole lot of sort of topics on their website that they've had in text form for years. Web stats are telling us nobody goes and reads them because they're just – they're long-winded and they're very medically written. They're dry. So the yeah. idea is that we're sort of going through a process now filming those doctors, talking to camera about that topic. Right, and so they sort of feel like they're in a consultation uh, with the with the doctor. So that that content is now is slowly getting transferred over to video for their own website too. So and those videos end up on YouTube as well as part of their YouTube channel, so they can be searched that way. So if someone's looking for, you know, uh, that particular doctor service in, in this area, they they might be looking on YouTube. They might be, not be looking on Google at all. So um, yeah, so the idea is to maybe um, get get into video. I know a lot of small business clients don't like to get in front of camera. Uh, in fact, I could name probably seventy percent of my small business clients don't go. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm not going to talk in front of a camera. But I think it's um, it's the next stage, you know. And if you're the business owner and you you feel a bit uncomfortable, but you've got a general manager or someone in there, um, maybe we could do it with them. So I think the idea is people like, as Adam said, about the human interaction and, the, and is the website written for humans to, to take in? With a, a human talking back at you, telling, telling you about their product or service is going to be a lot, have a lot more cut through and be a lot more memorable than just write, reading some words on a website or in a brochure. So, yeah, video is becoming yeah, human, human is powerful. It's becoming super important. So, um, and we've only got to look through anyone's social media feed to see the amount of video that's happening around the world at the moment. So, um, really important, nice little takeaway um, for today's podcast is have a look at video and how it can sort of um, change how you communicate to your customers. So, thanks for that, Adam. Great. Good work, fellas. No worries. Well, that's going to we're going to wrap up uh, the Adam part of the podcast. So, thanks, Ads, for calling in. Um, thanks for all your Thank details. Thank you, Jen. Um, Chris and I are going to uh, go on with a couple of other of our segments, but thanks, Ads, for the time, and um, we'll be talking to you soon. No worries. Enjoy the day. See you, mate. See you, Adam. Okay, that was great little chat with Adam Adam Fole from the Mulcahy & Co Marketing um, area here. So um, digital expert, Chris, we sort of probably both learned a little bit there. No, he certainly did. He's uh, a very clever man, isn't he? Like just in those areas that, um, you know, most of us probably 
know a bit about this stuff, but he can really drill right down and make sure that, I guess, if we are using this form of advertising, marketing, communication, whatever you want to call it, that we are actually doing it the right way and we're hitting the right people. So, yeah, it's such a powerful way to market now, isn't it? I think, um, too, the difference with, say, someone like Adam is sometimes you get, in life, you get people that are really good at one thing, so they might be really good at the programming and the, the web building, but then they can't talk to a customer or they don't understand business. Whereas Adam's kind of old enough that he's been around long enough, he's run his own business too. So he's sort of got that nice sort of mixture of um, being being sort of heavily in that digital web programming area, but he can also relate to normal people on a marketing level. Yeah, and hopefully what you know, listeners took from this is that it can apply to anyone. Like if mm. you're a business out there and you want to communicate, you want to get your brand out there, you want to be talking to your existing customers or clients first and then maybe attracting new business, well... Yeah, it's a great time to be thinking about it now because I assume, you know, the cost of it, there is a cost, there's an investment in all these things, but compared to your traditional forms of marketing, I'd assume that this is a very affordable and it can be built into budgets because you can actually see what the outcome is too. Mm, very measurable, whereas what we used to call, or we still call above the line advertising, so TV, radio, newspaper, that sort of thing, uh, magazines, um, advertising in those things is very, very hard to measure whether it went well or not. So with a lot of this digital stuff, we've actually got stats. So right down to boosting a Facebook post out to a certain area, we can actually see how many people saw that post and how many people clicked on it and went through to the page. So at least at the, you, you've got some numbers behind there, which is great because, as, I mean, as a small business or a medium business, you want to be able to measure where your money's going and whether it's turning into new customers or not. So, um, yeah, so some of this stuff is very, very... Um, sort of statistically driven so it's really good but we did want to give our listeners today Chris a bit of an update on what's happening in financial matters around um, the stimulus at the moment so I'll throw to you to run us through some of those items Chris. Yeah look it was two weeks we had Simon Bennett giving us a rundown on JobKeeper 2.0 so um, which was very informative and I know that a lot of people listen to that so if you do want to know the I guess the um, the ins and outs of how JobKeeper 2.0 works by all means, go back and listen to that episode, episode 14. But I suppose the main thing is, look, nothing's really uh, happened from that point. Um, look, it did go through the Parliament recently and they were legislating it. Um, that was on the 26th of August, so only uh, a couple of days ago. We're all a bit confused what actually happened in Parliament, but... Um, Has it been announced or what's well, happening? Well, it's just a very vague with what they came back with. Right. Look, there's no concern whether or not it's going to continue on or anything like that, but we sort of sense at the moment there's a bit of a standoff between federal and state um, politics from yep. a, a political point of view because the federal um, government is desperate for the states to open up borders because yep. they just want to get business flowing again, industry flowing again... And the states, I think it's very... It seems to be working politically in their favour if they keep the borders closed. It's a bit of a power struggle because I know that um, the WA Premier, he's got an approval rating of about 92% because he's so... He has been very vocal saying, we're shutting down, we're, we're going to keep this virus out of our state. And, the, and all the, the people that live there love that. But what it's doing is stopping any, anyone going for a holiday to Perth or, you know, all those other industries involved in that, so... Yeah, and look, I think the reality is that they can afford to do that whilst JobKeeper's still around. Mm. So in one sense, the federal government's sort of funding, enabling the states to keep the borders closed. And I think there's some good health reasons around that, but there's things that can be put in place from all reports that would enable, you know, particularly around um, 
you know, just getting workers into certain industries. I know the farming industry is probably at that stage now where they need to get workers to certain areas to complete a certain job. So that's got to happen without people moving between these borders. You know, it's going to do a lot of damage. So yep. I think that's a really big one at the moment. So just the way the legislation or the reporting of that legislation passing through Parliament, it just gave that indication that, yep, the federal government are going to do whatever they need to to support business, to support that connection between the employer and the employee, which is what JobKeeper's all about. But I suppose they're starting to think, well, maybe you state governments are using it to your advantage politically to keep borders closed, which is having an ongoing and longer-term impact to the economy. So, And probably something unexpected. I know right at the start of this, when we started the podcast, Chris, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, that we, everyone was guessing. You know, So here's another little, probably another little thing that's popped up, which is a little bit of a power struggle happening between the state and federal governments. So... All these little challenges keep popping up, don't they? Yeah, and I think what's happened in Victoria, particularly Melbourne, probably hasn't helped uh, the federal government's argument because, you know, it did get out of hand in this second wave. So I think, yeah, look, I think we're hopefully going to see some uh, improved results or we are seeing in the improved results in Victoria. But, um, yeah, there's just that situation where a lot of regional areas in Victoria are getting punished. Um, you know, cases are very low, but we're in this stage three lockdown. So, look, we are... You know, next few weeks we're sort of hoping to see things get a bit freed up. So that's on the JobKeeper. Look, just from a probably a practical and operational point of view, yeah, we're just planning around making sure that, uh, you know, those businesses that do need to tap into JobKeeper 2 from the 28th of September are eligible for that. So there's a bit of planning around that. So, you know, don't just think it's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's very important that you do... Or, you know, businesses do understand what their figures have got to be or, you know, if they're close or if they're going to miss the mark. But a bit of planning around that now. It's almost like mini tax planning, isn't it? Getting towards June 30, it's sort of like getting towards September 28. It's just, you know, let's plan around that and do some work on it beforehand. It is. And probably what we've always said too, Gav, is that, you know, there's those businesses that weren't affected early on, but they are starting to feel those effects now, particularly with this second wave. So... It's important whilst these stimulus measures are there that we do use them. Um, so, yeah, if a, a little bit of planning is required to make sure that we do tap into the system, um, I think that's very important. Great. Good update, Chris. Thanks for that. Probably um, other... Uh, yeah, just a few other points. Yeah, we've got the federal budget that will be this, uh, coming out on the 6th of October. So I guess everyone's starting to uh, focus or look towards that, what that's going to look like. Um, and probably... There's a lot more discussion around tax reform. So we're starting to hear a lot of, you know, what's going to happen, how are we going to actually grow the economy to pay back the debt, all those types of things. So I think at the federal level at the moment, there's about 125 taxes in place that, um, you know, they obviously use to generate revenue, but only 10 of those tax regimes actually uh, create or... Um, yeah, get access to 90% of the tax revenue. Right. So there's about over 100 taxes that do bugger all. Yeah, they're only accounting for 10% of... That's right. So there's a lot income. of taxes there that are probably creating a lot of red tape, a lot of issues for business. So there's a lot of talk around how we can minimise that and simplify it. Um, the states have taken that response that the federal government have come up with and they're sort of looking at, at it from a state level. So they're talking about broadening more of a land tax type regime um, 
doing away with the stamp duties and all those types of things. So I think we are going to see a lot of change in that area, um, which is going to be interesting. And what we've discussed on other episodes, Gav, is making sure with those tax concessions that are available now, because there are some really good ones that are available to business particularly, that if you... You know, I want to change things around in your structure to do with asset protection, um, succession planning, even tax planning. Um, now's the time to do it because, you know, this, like there are concessions there that you can change things around, not really incur much cost, do it tax-free and, yeah, you can set yourself up for the future. So I think it's important that, you, that every business does look at those things because they may not be available in the future. So it's I think that really was even important. one of our takeaways a couple of episodes ago was that, you know, use tax concessions now as they won't be available in the future. So it sort of has been a bit of a theme for a while, but as you say, it's it, with the budget coming up, it's probably become more at the forefront. Yeah, that's right, because I have got to start, you know, putting in place a plan for the future. I think there's a lot of commentators out there saying, look, the federal government, you're doing a great job, but... What's our future look like? So you can understand they're just trying to put the current fires out, I suppose, is probably a way of explaining it. But, yeah, there is that requirement now to sort of create this vision of what we're going to look like, how we're going to go about this challenge of, uh, yeah, paying back this debt. So probably another thing with the early release of super scheme, one thing that's uh, I read during the week that's, um, I guess, wasn't expected, but a lot of people have taken their two lots of $10,000 out and in some situations it's meant that um, some super balances, their members now are below the threshold where they no longer will be entitled to hold life insurance. Okay. So inadvertently they've got access to this money because they needed it and they qualified for it but their life insurance has now dropped off. So it's sort of something that I know the financial planners here have mentioned it um, but it's probably more that industry type fund uh, member that's you know maybe only had a small amount of superannuation so yeah they've taken advantage of uh, what was on offer but they no longer have life insurance so it's probably just something to consider if you I know in one of our previous episodes that Thane did mention that um, as a bit of a thing just to make sure that if yeah. you are doing that but obviously um, you know just to make sure there's enough in your balance um, to make sure that some of those insurances can be paid because um, they're invaluable, some of those life insurances and you, um, you know, in your super fund because a lot of people don't have it up, you know, off their own bat. Um, they'll, they'll actually rely on the insurance policy within the super fund. So, um, no, so that's, that's interesting. But I know, yeah, they were sort of – our guys were all over that from the start, weren't they? Yeah, they were worried yeah, that's about right. that was going to happen. So, yeah, they have got figures on it now. They're saying upwards of 660,000 members have no longer got life insurance. So, yeah, that's a big number. Um, probably just – Generally, pretty busy at the moment. Uh, the banks and reviewing loans, the lending guys have been flat out. You know, we're seeing some unbelievably low interest rates yeah. on offer. Yeah, and even uh, uh, for things not just a home loan either, you know, some, some business finance, some um, equipment finance, like vehicles, that sort of thing, you'd be very surprised what those, um, what those rates have come down yeah. to. Yeah, so that's been really busy. The only probably challenge has been that uh, the lending institutions are looking more that they want to see the 2020 tax returns completed. Previously, we could just provide management accounts and they were probably happy with that to sort of see how the business or the individuals carrying on um, to assess their loan. But, um, yeah, they want to see completed tax returns and sometimes even the tax assessment notices. So some of these reviews have taken a little bit longer than expected and they're putting a bit of pressure on to get that work completed. Yep. 
Um, just so, yeah, but so I suppose it's a, it's a trade-off, isn't it? You're going to get a, a much cheaper loan, a much cheaper rate, but you've got to do a bit of work before yeah. you to get, get, get there. So. And probably more importantly, if you are planning on buying something, there's just that extra time frame that you do need to allow to get your finance organised because yep. of these requirements. But apart from that, Gav, it's um, all ticking along nicely. Full steam ahead, yeah, at the moment, for sure. Um, well, we have got a couple of um, regular... Um, uh, regular little um, areas that we segments, I suppose, that we go to every week. Um, I'm going to take over one of them this week, Chris, which is our win of the week. And it relates to the super that you're just talking about. So we've got a. Um, it's actually a win of the week for one of our customers here, clients at Malkanko. So kitchen building business. So kitchen building business, and they do bathrooms, renovations, storage. Um, been inundated with work. Just flat out because um, people are taking some money out of super and they're actually using it to improve their asset, their home. So either putting in a new kitchen or putting in a, a new bathroom or whatever. Um, so isn't it interesting how things have – people have taken advantage of, say, the super. It was originally – I think the 10000 out of super was originally around just uh, yeah, survival kind of thing. But I think um, some people are using it as a way of improving their asset so that they're and which in turn is going to improve their long term financial anyway uh, situation. And I've also had a um, that's a, that was a client of ours here, Chris. But also um, I've got a friend that's um, recently had a, a marriage breakup, so they've sold the family home. Um, hasn't quite got enough for the deposit for the new place, so he's used his two lots of ten thousand to bump up to get back into the housing market. So I suppose in a lot of ways people um, have used it. Not necessarily for survival, but maybe strategically, you know. So there's a couple of wins. I, I think they're wins. They're probably people that have seen the situation and taken advantage of it for their own uh, needs. Um, but if if you're taking that money for survival, that's great. If you're taking it and improving your financial position for the future, you know, that that's a, a good use of it, I think. Yeah, no, that's right. And I, I was uh, following a conversation on – I can't remember what it was now, but um, it was about, you know, there's obviously – People have got opinions on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to be taking this money out of super at this stage because it's going to come back and bite you later on in life, etc., etc. And a few comments like, "Oh, yeah, look, I'd rather be using the jet ski that I've just bought, <laughs> I've just paid for with this money, than le- yeah, just letting it sit in superannuation for you know for the next twenty or thirty years." So, yeah, look, I think there's some scenarios where it's been used. I think, yeah, apparently. Um, Gambling's got a bit out of control as well and a Has few it? things like oh, that. Okay. But, yep. Yeah, but you know, situations like that where people have actually used it to improve something yep. um, and which at the end of the day that's going to be an asset for them anyway, isn't it? You know, I think that $25,000 grant, it's been you know, amazing really. Like yeah, just the home ha- builder? Yep, yeah, because you know, the building industry was really concerned there for a while, weren't they? But yep. I think you know, the numbers, uh, you know, the... Sign-ups of new homes, renovations, etc. Even, even down to land sales, Chris. So we've got a few clients we do some work for that are developers. So, you know, even land sales have really taken off since that home builder t- grant, 25000 got announced. So, And it got extended too. So um, for Vic- was that for Victoria? I think it was. Yeah, so until March. So there's even right back to the land sales has really helped. And I, I think it just keeps that – because that work then takes nine months or whatever to finish, you know, once permits come in and the house gets built or whatever – it's going to keep that funnel of work going for a lot longer. So it was a good move, good move. So, 
Well, that's a wrap, Chris, for episode 15 of the FS360 podcast. It will be up on our um, socials and uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, of course, and you can even stream it live from our website at um, mulkay.com.au. So thanks for your time today, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Gav. Well done. And Adam, thanks for his time. It was very uh, informative and I think our listeners will get a fair bit out of that. And a little bit of shout-out to Simon Bennett for episode 14 because he's uh, a little bit of JobKeeper if anyone's interested. Uh, A lot of stuff has remained that Simon spoke about last episode. So jump on episode 14 and have a listen to Simon as well.